Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal Pick and Pop Podcast. This is our weekly look at the college basketball scene. This is Kevin McNamara at the Journal and I'm here with Bill Koch. Bill, fresh off the uh, trip out to uh, lovely Dayton, Ohio. Um, a few airport issues as you got to get used to this time of year, winter time, but uh, good to see you back safe and sound. Great to be back, Kevin. Got in late uh, last night, early this morning. Uh, flight in from Detroit landed probably about 1 o'clock, nope. 1.30, give or take. Uh, but very thankful to the folks at Courtyard Marriott for extending my stay for a night and to Delta, who allowed me to change my flight from Saturday, which was never happening, to Sunday free of charge. Well, uh, so we appreciate that. The travel industry, it's just filled with nice people, so I'm not surprised. Sometimes. I'm a little jaded after doing this for too many years. Sometimes. But, uh, but sometimes. I had some good ones this time and, and was very thankful for the help that they gave me. Very nice. Very nice. We're actually going to start with the Rams. Uh, Bill, in full disclosure, I caught bits and pieces of the first half and then saw the last six minutes uh, straight out at... Uh, Dayton Arena, and I'm not surprised with what I saw. Dayton is very, very tough at home. Uh, I'm sure there were 13,000 plus red-clad fans there. It's a very, it's one of the toughest home courts in the country. Uh, no question. 67-64 um, win for Dayton. They were down 10 in the first half. They took control in the second half. Scoochie Smith, the Atlantic 10 Player of the Week this week, uh, really dominated his matchup with Jarvis Garrett. Is he 30-32, Scoochie Smith? It feels like it at this oh point. Oh, my word. He, he, he beat Providence, uh, knocked Providence out of the NCAs. It seems like it was seven years ago. But he's, he's obviously a senior right now. Well, yeah, that's that's the kind of experience that Dayton has. Uh, Kendall Pollard celebrated his 22nd birthday. Kyle Davis celebrated his 22nd birthday the following day on Saturday. Uh, so you're talking about an older veteran team that took care of business at home and, and really you know, put the pressure on URI to split that series when Dayton comes here uh, later in the season. No, and Dayton, uh, to their credit, got the job done without their leading scorer, Charles Cook, who's uh, sidelined with an injury uh, at the moment. He should be back pretty soon. Uh, obviously would make Dayton even stronger. I think Dayton's uh, knocking on the door of getting back into the top 25 the way they're playing. If they can get back to full strength, they have a chance to, to really put up some nice numbers in the A-10. No, they, they play very tough. Uh, you know, this this was a missed opportunity for URI, if you look at it, uh, with them committing 18 turnovers and, and not getting much out of Jarvis Garrett and Jared Terrell. Um, it was a night where Dayton started 2 for 14 and ended up shooting 47%. Uh, really came on offensively. They were 15 for 24 in the second half. Uh, and URI you know, sat down Hassan Martin with about eight and a half minutes to go in this one. Uh, he was laboring a little bit uh, you know, with a quadriceps injury that he suffered, kept him out for a little bit, a uh, little extended period of time. Dan Hurley said on the A-10 conference call this morning that it was not a setback for Hassan. He was just playing his way into game shape, had hit 20 minutes, and, and wasn't necessarily feeling all that good. Uh, and they were a little concerned. They wanted to protect him because a setback, at this point, we put him out into February, and he'd miss most of the conference season. Well, if it wasn't a setback, I, I would try to make sure that Hassan was on the court in the last six minutes and not coming out with eight to go. So, uh, you know, I guess can agree to disagree there. Uh, I guess we'll find out more when the Rams are back in action this weekend. They play two games in four days. Uh, Thursday, they'll be at the Ryan Center against La Salle and then host UMass on Sunday. Uh, the question, Bill, now is, uh, you know, like you said, missed opportunity at Dayton. That said, you know, Dayton's the best team in the league. 
uh, as you said, you know, veteran players, great home court. How much of a tough loss was this? Well, it's difficult from the standpoint that you don't get many chances to win top 50 RPI road games in the A-10. Uh, you play VCU at home this year. You play Dayton at home. This might be your only one unless Davidson gets its act together. And as you know, Kevin, uh, the selection committee values those top 50 wins and especially those top 50 road wins at a different level than just about anything else that you can do on your schedule. Uh, you know, And the margin for error for URI to make the NCAA tournament continues to shrink. It's not completely gone. You're not to the point yet where you need to win the A-10 tournament and secure the automatic bid. But these chances are dwindling as time goes by, and they are failing to capitalize on them. Nope, top 50 opportunities are like gold. There's no two ways about it. That's how they'll be measured at the end against other bubble teams around the country is, you know, how they do against the top 50, maybe top 75. Uh, top 100 wins really don't uh, raise many flags because every team in the mix at that stage has, has quite a few top 100 wins. It's the top 50 wins that make you stand out, and uh, there's no question that would have been their best road win of the season. Uh, they do not have uh, any road wins yet? Uh, one at St. Louis. At St. Louis. Uh, they'll have a chance certainly throughout the league play to, to rack up some road wins, but none uh, with the exception of you know just a handful that could really stand out. I think it'll be interesting to see if other A-10 teams can play their way into that top 50. It's going to be a challenge. I think Rhode Island right now in the RPI is in the mid uh, low to mid 40s, um, so it's kind of right on the cusp. Certainly uh, any loss, as we've said earlier on the podcast, any loss outside of the top 100 uh, can be quite damaging to this team right now. Yeah, they're, they're at a point where they have two games that they can't lose, at Duquesne uh, and home to Fordham. Those would be two games that would cripple them and, and would probably force them to at least make the A-10 finals in Pittsburgh, if not win the tournament. Um, you know, but at, at this point for Rhode Island, it's about holding serve. Uh, you know, and, and going on the road, they're going to be playing a little bit defensively. Uh, you know, would a loss at Richmond completely destroy their chances of getting in? No, but... It's probably not something that, that they can afford to happen twice. Like you can't lose at Richmond, uh, you know, and then maybe at Davidson or uh, you know at George Mason or at LaSalle, uh, you know, a team that's not going to be in the RPI 200s or anything like that, but a team that is definitely not going to help your metrics if you lose to them. No, and uh, I think anyone who saw UMass come in against Providence a month ago, th- those will be two tough games. Uh, certainly a tough game in Amherst, but. I certainly would think that the Minutemen will play Rhodey tough uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and that's you know that goes back to uh, you know whether or not Rhode Island can can sort of you know sort out this this rotation that they have. Uh, you know the other the other night against Dayton, Sanford Robinson uh, was arguably one of their top three players. Uh, Karan Iverson w- was their best player in the game, had a double double, uh, and EC Matthews. Got off to a slow start, but he had all 13 of his points in the second half. Uh, made a big three-pointer with about a minute to go to make it a one-point game. Um, you know, and then Stanford Robinson had 13 points off the bench. Uh, you know, and, and contributed a little bit at the defensive end. Uh, and you wonder if, if maybe you know he's put himself into contention to play in crunch time uh, at the expense of a Jarvis Garrett. Uh, you know, as we said from the start this year, Kevin, this was going to be a different kind of challenge for Dan Hurley in the sense that. He has enough bodies, maybe a couple extra bodies, but it's finding that right combination at the right times in games, and I still think he's feeling his way through that. No, I think that's pretty clear. The, the emergence of Cyril Langevin has really helped uh, the Rams, obviously with depth, 
but you know when do you play him? When do you not play him? You know against what type of teams uh, can he be most effective? And uh, you know obviously Robinson I think is going to keep getting better coming off his transfer season. Um, you know he's probably a guy who you'd need on the court defensively in the last minute or two just because of his length and athleticism. Just a little more size than than Jarvis, but I understand Jarvis is the is you know the quarterback of the team. And uh, has you know an awful lot of experience as well. Much better shooter. He's going to knock down an open shot. Yep. if The defense leaves him in the last two minutes. Yep. And uh, you know I would like to you know uh, have Dan, Dan Hurley on the podcast once and just have him explain that last second shot. It was funny. A lot of people called me and said, you know, geez, what were they doing? I said, what were they doing? They, they had seven seconds to go. So they're down two after a free throw. They inbound the ball to a, a, an experienced junior point guard, the fastest guy on your team. He pushes the ball all the way up the court, and then at that point it's up for Jarvis to make a decision whether to go to the rim or look for someone on a kickout. And he goes to the rim for an eight-footer, you know, nine-footer. That's a pretty good shot. Now, obviously it, it didn't go and it didn't draw iron, but not a bad attempt with seven seconds to go. Well, the, the things that you have to ask yourself were – you know, who did they want to take the shot there? The open guy, obviously. Um, but what sort of play was supposed to be run? I, I always enjoy in these last-second situations where, you know, people think that you're going to draw something up and you're going to get a layup. Uh, you know, some backdoor cut and a bounce pass and a layup. Uh, if you watched Oregon beat UCLA, it was Dylan Brooks coming off a screen, dribbling the ball, dribbling the clock down, and making a three-pointer from 25 feet. Dylan Brooks is an NBA player. Um, you know, I think a lot of times these games come down to individuals making a creative play at the end and, and making a shot. Right, and to interrupt, would you rather have Dylan Brooks shooting a, a 22-footer off the screen or Jarvis Garrett shooting a driving 8-footer? Right, I'm taking Dylan Brooks. Well, I'd rather, ha- I'd rather have the 8-foot eight eight foot drive. You know, I mean, it's just an easier shot. But obviously the quality of player is different, but the quality of shot is dramatic. You know, dramatically different as well. But I guess it goes back to, you know, people think that there's going to be this magical offensive set and you're going to get a layup or an eight-footer or a jump shot. And I think a lot of times it comes down to individual talent. I also think that, you know, if you look at what was supposed to be run, whatever play it was supposed to be, do you really think that in the huddle or in practice over and over and over again, Dan Hurley calls for his point guard to run it down 86 feet 86 feet and take a shot one on three. That's probably not the play. So you have to go back and think, did the right guy inbound the ball? Did the right guy set a screen at midcourt? Was there the right action on the correct side of the floor? Were players in the right positions? Or, as Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. You can execute that play in practice, but did you get into a game and get tight? That's the question you really need to ask. And, you know, execution under pressure is is what makes you know winners and losers and great players and average players and you know that's exactly what that was again if I'm a coach and I have seven seconds to go I inbound the ball to my fastest player he's going to push the ball into the scoring area as fast as anyone I have and then it's just guys making decisions under pressure and I you know I look back and I, I think you know there's there's been I've heard from fans who say well it's the player's fault or it's the coach's fault I've heard many people say that it's Dayton's fault, but it's partly their fault, too, for the way they defended they, the they were, they were trying. They, they were trying. Yeah. How about all three? Mm-hmm. How about if your team doesn't execute, yes, that comes back on the coach if they didn't run the play you wanted to see. If the players who have been in this situation, you had veteran guys on the court, 
if they don't have the presence of mind to run the correct play or make the correct decisions, that's on them. And also Dayton, who defended the shot without fouling. They cleared the defensive glass. They got back to the other end for a foul shot and closed out the game. Well, I can guarantee uh, that Rhode Island will be in a similar situation the rest of the year, sometime the rest of the year, and we'll see if uh, they live and learn and can execute next time because, uh, like you said, that certainly was an opportunity that you'd like to be able to grab on the road. But uh, there's really no harm in losing at Dayton. Uh, I thought some of Coach Hurley's uh, remarks after the game were a bit puzzling. It was, it was like he obviously you know, was upset with the loss and it was a missed opportunity, but you know, his team played pretty well uh, to be in that position, the last shot on the road at Dayton. You know, he can nitpick and say that they had 18 turnovers and did this wrong and that wrong, but uh, again, that would have been a, really a big-time win if they were able to pull it off. Uh, we're going to move uh, on to the Friars, uh, who were uh, 78-64 losers to uh, number 10 Creighton at the Dunkin' Donuts Center uh, on Saturday. Uh, uh, Bill, I know you're traveling. Uh, I was at that game and uh, came away very impressed with the offensive uh, skills of Creighton, uh, who put up uh, 39 points in the second half, 39 points in both halves, as a matter of fact, shot nearly 56% from the field and uh, 41% from the three-point line. Basically, they showed the Friars what uh, they've been showing everyone around the uh, country in the league so far this year. Boy, Kevin, I I caught bits and pieces of this game, and, and my main takeaway is that Right now, the, the Big East, I think, is separated into like little mini-leagues over the 10. Uh, and I think Xavier, Villanova, and, and Creighton are at the top of, of maybe that first separation there. Uh, you know, what's not to like about the backcourt that they have between Maurice Watson and Marcus Foster and the big guy, Justin Patton? Uh, I heard Joe Hassett say on the broadcast he feels like he's a lottery pick, and who am I to disagree with that? Yeah, no, I, I think he's a Marcus Canby type player, maybe not the shot blocker that Marcus is, but that type of late-blooming big guy, uh, a legit 6'11", 7 feet, long arms, can step away and shoot the ball. He's a good passer, um, with the exception of experience, which clearly doesn't matter in the NBA draft whatsoever. Uh, he, he certainly looks like a lottery pick uh, to me. If he comes back, uh, boy, Creighton could be really scary next year. Although their experience this year is really what uh, jumped out at me, not only their offensive execution, but you know Watson is, is a man, you know, um, was a very good player at Kansas State, ran into some off-court trouble. Uh, he has actually two years to go, but uh, Watson, a transfer from BU, is a fifth-year guy. Uh, Cole Huff is a transfer from Nevada. He's, he's a senior. Uh, Kyrie Thomas is, is an experienced guy. Uh, zeroed in off the bench is an experienced guy. They have a chance to do something very special this year. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, I, I look at Justin Patton, and I, I almost, I almost go back to someone like Marvin Barnes, who's, you know, sort of this smaller town guy at, at not a blue-blooded school. You know, Providence in the '70s was nobody's idea of, of North Carolina. Um, you know, but he's the local guy who comes along once every 50 years, and all of a sudden you have this prodigy who's on your campus, who you had the inside track on recruiting, uh, you know, and he makes you a team to reckon with. And, and I think, you know, Creighton was going to have great guards going into the year. We knew that. Um, you know, like you said, the, the experience that these guys have with, with Watson and with Foster, they're very good players. Uh, but Patton just gives them that inside dimension that, that really, you know, when they spread the floor and then they decide they want to throw it inside too, 
uh, you know, really, really tough to stop at that end of the floor. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Creighton's only loss this season is at home to Villanova. Um, in a great game. One a, of the best games of the year so far. Great game. Knock, knock down, drag it out. You know, really good. Uh, you know, contest right to the end, which, you know, Villanova has maybe that experience edge over Creighton in big games. You know, Creighton is older, but hasn't made the deep NCAA run. Uh, Jalen Brunson was the star of the game. He's a sophomore, but, you know, he did win the national championship last year. Yeah, he wasn't bad. Top 50 recruit. Now... Let's talk about Providence yeah. in this game, Kevin. More, more your, your observations there. Yeah, more importantly, the Friars, you know, they're going to get exposed on various nights uh, against some of these high-end teams. I'd actually cut the Big East into, in half right now. There's five upper-level teams, NCAA-level teams. I would throw certainly Butler no and Seton Hall into that mix, with Seton Hall being the fifth, but I think Seton Hall, with their experience and toughness, is going to be able to find a way into the NCAAs. Playing pretty well. And then there's a drop-off, and Providence is certainly in that drop-off. The question is, is where they are, and can they beat any of the five teams? You know, that's ten games, Bill. That, that's more than half your schedule in the Big East. Can they beat any of those teams home and away? Now, I would have liked to see Providence play Creighton for the full 40 minutes with Kyron Cartwright. Mm. And that was the bottom line. He only played 12 minutes in the first half, did not play in the second. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that Providence had... Creighton on the ropes because Creighton never lost the lead, but the game was tied a couple times and it was a five-point game with eight minutes to go, kind of up, you know, up for grabs. But uh, Cartwright has some tendonitis that uh, he's really been bothered by since preseason. That's a red flag. Uh, that's a Hassan Martin-type injury for the Friars. It's going to linger, and I couldn't tell you if he's going to play at DePaul Tuesday night or not, which is a real problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a real tough one, uh, you know, because the only thing that really will cure that is rest, and the second week of conference season is not the time to rest someone. Uh, you know, and, and Kyron being as valuable as he is to Providence and, and everything that they represent this year, uh, you know, really, really unfortunate. Um, you know, we saw good things, I think, because they're playing at home out of Alpha Diallo, we, we've mentioned before that this bench is three freshmen and a sophomore, and they're going to do nice things at home. Um, you know, and you see the contribution from Alpha Diallo and Khalif Young in this game. Um, the sign of their maturity will be, can they do it on the road against DePaul? Can they do it on the road against St. John's? Or, or some of those 50-50 games, like we said, that you really have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. You're not going to expect them to go into Villanova uh, and Khalif Young to throw up 9-9 nine and nine against the Wildcats. I, I think that's a little too much to ask of the young guy. But can he give you at least half of that? And can Alpha Diallo at least give you half of that and spell Jalen Lindsay at times and spell Kyron Cartwright at times? And I think that would be the sign of this team's growth going forward. No, there's no question. You know, The takeaway from this game, if you really just look at the stats, uh, and obviously a big asterisk knowing that uh, Kyron didn't play, but... Uh, the three most experienced players, Cartwright gave you nothing. Jalen Lindsay was 4 for 12, 11 points. Rodney Bullock struggled again, 3 for 13, 6. Boy, what's going on with Rodney Bullock? You know, I mean, that's, they're not going to beat good teams with those guys playing like that. They will not win any of those 10 games that we talked about earlier, home or away, with those guys not showing up uh, with some consistent play. The best players in the game were Emmett Holt, a first-year Juco, um, and uh, and uh, Young and Diallo, uh, you know, which it's good to see, but they need the veterans to be there all the time. 
And, they do. Uh, you know, that, that, they that, do. that's definitely a major concern looking at the start. Now, the thing about the Friars, which is interesting, is, you know, one and three start, you know, struggling, blah, blah, blah. Well, all three losses are against top 25 teams. Now, <laughs> right. We, so, we are being a little unfair here. You know, a little bit. Yeah. They, they lose it to Paul, then, you know, bring it on. You know, then you're one and four with Seton Hall coming in here. We got problems. But they lost it to Paul last year. They did. And they were loaded. They did. This DePaul team is not as good. It's funny. DePaul had really one of the best efforts they've had in years in a narrow loss at Villanova. Uh, since then, they really haven't played well. So, tough to tell. Yeah, DePaul's one of those strugglers at the bottom of the league. Uh, I like Billy Garrett. I like Eli Kane. Those guys can play. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that they'll give Providence's backcourt, especially if Kyron can't play, uh, all they can handle. You would like to see a response in this game. For Providence, you know, they, like Ed Cooley said, they played well for 30 minutes against Creighton. Hmm. Uh, they played two road games in the Big East. They did not play well in either one of them, especially at the start of both games. Uh, you know, were blown off the court early by Xavier and, and Butler. They made a little bit of a run in the second half, but really put themselves behind the eight ball in the first 12 minutes. I want to see how much they've learned from those two games. DePaul is nowhere near as good as those two teams. I'd like to see if they can come out and at least in the first 10, 15 minutes of that game give themselves a chance because I think if, if they're in contention at about the 30, 32, 33-minute mark, they have enough talent to win this game. Um, but it's a matter of, of, like I said earlier, what sort of growth are we going to see out of this group? And, and I think we're going to be able to evaluate that in the first half uh, at DePaul. Yeah, and again, I don't know if they can win this game on the road without Cartwright, you know, uh, Malik. White uh, showed some toughness in the Creighton game, but really has not been asked to play 20 minutes uh, consistently you know, in a high-level game yet in his college career. And Alpha Diallo, the other freshman, is probably going to be the backup point guard. So basically you're going to war with two freshmen, of, you know, point guard, which is on the road, uh, good luck. <laughs> Usually yeah. that doesn't pan out, but uh, That's right. we'll see. The Friars are back in action at home on Saturday noontime against uh, Seton Hall, uh, again, a, a team with uh, some veterans back from last year's NCAA team, Big East Tournament Championship team. Tough game, uh, one that the Friars can get if they play well. But, again, uh, they need their veterans to be there much more consistently and uh, you know, keep seeing some pretty good things from the freshman class, and then they'll be in pretty decent shape. Uh, Bill, I'm going to wind up the podcast with an interesting top 25 take uh, the new number one is is the Baylor Bears. Right. First time in their history they're at number one. First time in their history, um, undefeated. It's really only two top-end teams that are undefeated right now, Baylor and Gonzaga. Uh, interestingly, Gonzaga, I believe, is at six. Baylor is, is at one. Um, they didn't get my number one vote. Uh, I believe okay. I was one of eight uh, voters who picked Kansas. Uh, Villanova still had one vote, which was surprisingly to me. Uh, surprising to me, but uh, my take on on um, Kansas is that they're the best team uh, standing right now, anyways. Um, and their only loss was, if it wasn't in the season opener, it was in the second game of the season on a neutral court by two. Uh, and if you look at the schedules, Kansas's schedule uh, was, uh, I wouldn't say much stronger, but certainly stronger than Baylor. Although Baylor, I believe, has seven. Top uh, 100 wins as as we stake. So take uh, Baylor feels like number one by default mm-hmm. to me. The, the undefeated does it for you. Uh, yeah. The, well, then why isn't Gonzaga number two? No, no. I didn't say I would have voted them number one. I probably would not have. 
they feel like number one by default mm-hmm. to me. Um, because they haven't lost, because they're a Power 5 team, if Gonzaga was a Power 5 team, they'd be number two. But because they're in the West Coast Conference and they don't play anybody and you know everyone's skeptical of, of their NCAA tournament performance, sure. they won't vote them over Kentucky or over Kansas or over anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Baylor, because they're in the Big 12, that makes it okay. Um, is Baylor number one? No. I don't think they're the best team in the country, but I think a lot of times the voters feel obligated based on the records and not necessarily how they evaluate the team. Yeah, my, my take on, on the basketball poll is it's it's not football. Football, uh, undefeated teams almost always rise to the top, and, and I get that. But in basketball, especially only you know 15 games in, th- there's no reason that that should be the case. We're still evaluating teams as they grow throughout the course of the season. It shouldn't be like you said, by default, because they're 16-0, and 0, they're undefeated. Right. I mean, you look at Duke. They haven't had Harry Giles, Jason Tatum, Marcus Bolden uh, for the majority of the season. Are they better than Baylor with those three guys playing at their best? I, I would think so. You would think so. I, I mean, you look at Kentucky. Yeah, they have a lot of young guys. But on their night when, when uh, Malik Monk is going and, and Isaiah Briscoe is going, aren't they better than Baylor? Yeah, uh, but we can't get carried away with that because of a team, you know, with more talent and more potential has two and three losses, well, shame on them for losing those games. But I guess th- this is the argument that we can get into with basketball that we can't get into with football. Uh, and, and the reality is you're going to play 35 games in a year. You're going to lose at least one. No one's going to go undefeated here and, and just run the table. Uh, and we're going to find out a lot about Baylor, whether or not they are the real number one, when they go to West Virginia and visit your old buddy Bob Huggins. Or how about when they play Kansas? Sure. I mean, w- 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 when the league really heats up, which it'll heat up pretty quick in, uh, in the Big 12, uh, there'll be many, many opportunities for Baylor either to show that they are legit number one and can keep their dream season going, or whether they're going to look like a normal Big 12 top-level team and, and lose three, four, five times in the league, because right. that's what happens in a, in a great league like that. That's all we have, folks. Uh, enjoy the games this week. Um, stay warm. Take care.